0: Thanks for listening to ITRIS, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. According to the State Department, there are about 40 wars going on right now. Isn't that incredible? 40 wars. Now, the war we hear about the most is obviously the one in Ukraine. It's the highest profile official war. But you know, as we all know, there is another war, and uh, in this crowd in particular, we're probably more mindful of it than the typical kind of crowd, and that is the uh, The War on Life, as some people have talked about it. And today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and so we're going to take a break from our Matthew study. And I just wanted today to uh, just talk about life and uh, how precious it is and what the Bible has to say about it and how we can respond uh, to it. Because in reality, it really is a war that we're fighting as well. You know, uh, I believe today is the day that marks the 50th anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision back in 1973 of Roe versus Wade, which then opened the door for at least 70 million abortions. 70 million preborn children were aborted because of that one decision and as most of us probably remember and are aware that decision was reversed about uh, seven or eight months ago back in uh, June through another decision that the Supreme Court made the Dobbs decision and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a little bit but 70 million preborn babies were aborted that's a war that that is more victims than in all the United All the wars that the United States has ever engaged in. More than Vietnam and World War II and World War I and the Civil War and the Revolutionary War. Take all the victims and pile them up and you still have more that have lost their life in the war on life. And so what we want to do today is is just talk about that. And, uh, you know, it's probably going to be a reminder for uh, uh, many of you. It might be new to some of you. And, uh, you know, really what I want to do is I just want to be uh, sensitive and uh, uh, open and transparent, but at the same time be frank and blunt because this is a war. This is, this is something that we as believers uh, in, in, in God and Jesus Christ and the truthfulness of Scripture, uh, it, it's something that is an outrage, and we need to know how to respond because, you know, seven or eight months ago the war changed. So uh, let's just uh, let's just take a moment to walk through some of the stuff in regards to the sanctity of life. And uh, you might want to jot down some of this stuff, or maybe uh, go back and look at uh, some of the stuff uh, later by listening to the the podcast or the the live stream. But you know, let's, let's just remind ourselves, what exactly is an abortion? You know, sometimes I think when you hear it referred to in the news and all that stuff, it just gets, it's so sanitized. But uh, listen to this. This is a definition that's not original with me, obviously. But here's what an abortion is. An abortion is the intentional destruction of an unborn child in, the wo- in its mother's womb or the extraction of an immature child from that womb in order to end its life. It's the intentional destruction of a human life. It's an intentional destruction of a person. Uh, Whether it's basically killing that child while in the womb or Extracting that child from the womb long before, is capable of living on its own. That's exactly what has happened in those 70 million victims that I talked about. And you know, when in in living in in a, a, a culture that seems to sanitize everything that uh, that is tough or evil or whatever, it, I think it's good just to remember. We're talking about human beings here. We're talking about persons. We're talking about, about life that has been destroyed, ended, killed. And uh, that is very, very important to, to keep in mind because I think so many times when you're, we're kind of in our own little bubble where we've got ourselves several layers away from, you know, Real people, or those people out there, I think it's our, easy for us to to not see it as being as serious as it really is. But it really is. You know, uh, the as I mentioned, the the original ruling by the Supreme Court occurred in uh, 1973. I was a sophomore in high school, and you know what? I, then I graduated from high school in '76, and I went to college that fall, and. Literally, I never heard what an abortion was until somewhere in the middle of, of uh, college. And I remember hearing about it, and it's like, quite frankly, I didn't know what to think of it. It's kind of interesting. We, we as Bible-believing evangelicals, we were totally caught off guard by that decision. I understand that, did, that decision didn't even make the news. You know, now, obviously, that was before the, hour, the days of 24-hour-a-day news programs and news networks, but even then, it was not big news at all. Hear this decision that ended up impacting the lives of 70 million people, it didn't even make the news. Hardly anyone knew about it, and, I, and, and for the most part, those of us in our Christian camp, us evangelicals, we didn't even know what to think about it. If I've got my timing right, about the same time I was in college and just hearing about abortion and, and not really understanding what it was and exactly, you know, okay, what do we really think about it? Cause I'd never really sat and thought about it. At the same time, someone named Bill Clinton, who was the attorney general of the United States, or the, of the state of Arkansas, he went to his pastor at Emmanuel Baptist there in Little Rock. Dr. Bott, who was a very good man, a very good Bible scholar, and said, what am I supposed to think about this? And you know what Dr. Vought said? He wasn't really sure. He hadn't thought about it. There's a smart theologian who, who thought about, who, who, who was presented with this and and, you know, what was happening at that time is we as evangelicals were taking stabs in the dark. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Dr. Vaught explained to our, the attorney general of Arkansas that back in Genesis 2, it talks about how when, when God created Adam, he breathed in the breath of life. So it must be that life begins when you take that first breath. And so I guess abortion's okay. Now, I'm pretty certain Dr. Vaught, like all of us, or at least most of us hopefully, recognized that that wasn't accurate with scripture, but you know what? That was the, the view that President Clinton held the rest of his life, still does. You know, and many supposed Bible-believing folks do think that, But the truth of the matter is, what we got to do is is actually go back to the Scriptures. And thankfully, some really smart people, some very committed theologians, Bible scholars, studied what God's Word had to say, and we recognized that abortion's a travesty. But I just wanted us to understand that early on, there was a lot of confusion about it. And we're standing on the the shoulders of 50 years of scholarship, and, and now we know a whole bunch more. And, and uh, you know, of course, the, the situation has now changed because you say, well, Roe v. Wade was reversed. Now, I may not get all my details right on this because I'm certainly not a lawyer. I've got a son that's a lawyer, but uh, uh, he was out of town all week, so I didn't really have a chance to talk to him about this, but I think I got this right. Here's the deal. What happened was when the, the S- Supreme Court decision came down back in june the dobbs decision the st louis or the mississippi uh, decision essentially what it did was it took abortion and returned the decision back to the states and so now each state decides on it and where we stand now is abortion is legal in roughly half of the states. so it's not legal here in texas it's not legal over in arkansas or louisiana or even oklahoma But it is legal up in Missouri. It is legal over in Colorado. And it's legal in California. Roughly half of the states of our 50 United States have laws that permit abortion. So it's still going on. How how do abortions occur? Well, you know, back in the early days, I mean, some of the things that were being practiced were just downright brutal and barbaric. Uh, you know, again, I don't want to be too crass, and I don't want to be too blunt, but I think sometimes as, as, as adults we need to understand, I mean, one of the ways they achieved abortion was by injecting an acid or something in there that literally would fry and therefore kill that baby, and then extract it. Sometimes they would attempt to kill it inside and then just dismember it and remove it. Sounds horrible, because it is horrible. And if you take the view that, well, it's it's not a life until it's breathed, one of the things that they did was, remember this, 20, 25 years ago, the whole partial birth abortion, where you partially deliver that child then terminate its life and then remove it that's abortion that's that that's what we're talking about that's why that's why it's not an overstatement to say this is a war on the unborn that needs to be faced and dealt with properly and when you when you get right down to it the the, the question is well okay when does life begin? When does a person become a person? When when is that 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 being inside? When, when, is is it ever okay to abort them? And uh, here in just a minute, we're going to take a look at some scripture passages. Before we but before we do that, you know, I just want us to think about a couple things just from from. Uh, uh, you know, society and science, and then Scripture. You know, generally speaking, uh, just, you, you just set the Bible aside for a while, set your, your Christianity aside for, the, for a while, uh, aside for a while. Almost every society on the face of the earth that has ever existed has kind of proceeded with a basic principle when it comes to justice. The benefit of the doubt is always given to the person who wants to save life. And the burden of proof has always been placed on the person who wants to take life. I mean, you can see it in our judicial system. I mean, a person, we will, we will give a person many, many opportunities to appeal their verdict their guilty verdict, to delay the inevitable of their punishment. Why? Because as, as, as humane people, and this is, this is the way it is across the world, some, some countries we look at them, and some people, uh, philosophies of life we look at them, and we say, well, they could be a lot better. But the truth of the matter is even they tend to err on the side of life. Except we don't do that, or at least some don't do that when it comes to abortion. The burden of proof should always be given to the life sa- or life taker, and the benefit of the doubt should always be given to the life saver. Uh, I got my, messed it up there, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. That's the way societies have functioned since the dawn of history, but we're not doing that anymore. Science, There's been a whole bunch of stuff that has been revealed in science, and you know what? All of the stuff that has been revealed in from science has pointed to the fact that life, personhood, humanity begins at conception. At fertilization, it's kind of interesting. Now there's a a discussion, is there a difference between conception and fertilization? And the answer is no, but people are trying to split hairs and say, well, fertilization doesn't represent conception. And if you remember the whole process, there's, there's conception, but then there's also implantation. And the truth of the matter is implantation occurs hours, maybe even a day or so later, but implantation is basically just that—that—that that, that fertilized egg looking for a place to feed, to be, to find nutrition, to a safe place to to grow until it can stand on its own two feet. And so, implantation—that's that's down the road. But all of science is now pointing to it: the fact that. It all begins at fertilization slash conception. It's interesting. We've known this for a long, long time, even though people don't want to admit it. Uh, A doctor named uh, Dr. Jerome Lejeune, who was professor of genetics in uh, London, or in Paris at the University of Descartes. This is the guy that discovered the chromosome pattern for Down syndrome. I mean, this isn't just some flunky that squeaked by In his uh, graduate school, Dr. Lejeune was testifying before our Judiciary Committee, and I think this was back in the 70s or even the 80s. This is how early on we have known this. Listen to what he said. This guy isn't a Bible-thumping evangelical either. This This is just a scientist. Dr. Lejeune testified before the Judiciary Subcommittee saying, after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being. He stated that this is no longer a matter of taste or opinion, and it's not a metaphysical contention. It is just plain experimental evidence. He added, each individual has a very neat beginning. It's at conception. Now, I could go on and on and on about it and and talk about it, but, but all of science is pointing towards that. And we care about society, we care about science, but obviously, we mostly care about what Scripture has to say. So here's where I want you to take your Bible, and I just want to take the time to point you to uh, several verses here. Look at uh, Jeremiah 1. If you've got a phone, you want to pull it up, you can do that, or just uh, better, if you've got a real Bible, pull it up there. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God is calling Jeremiah, who was a prophet that lived about uh, 600 years before Jesus was born, and he was calling him into this very difficult ministry. Jeremiah had a a tough message that he was going to have to deliver to God's people. And when God was finally tapping on his shoulder and said, I want you to be the preacher that is going to communicate my message to my people, Israel, this is what he said. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, just, just let that sink in a little bit. What is it that God is saying to Jeremiah? <laughs> Jeremiah, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. In fact, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. He doesn't say, I knew about you. I knew that you would eventually come into being. He's saying, I knew you. He, he, he is saying there, Jeremiah, from the very, very beginning of your life, I knew you. Look at, uh, look at this next one, Psalm 139. I'm sure you've seen this before, but such a great passage that, that, that David wrote. Psalm 139, the whole passage is good, but we're just going to have to jump into it at about verse 13, Jeremiah, uh, Psalm 139, verse 13. David is talking, and he's, he's just praising God for various things, and in verse 13, he says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when i was made when i was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth your eyes have seen my unformed substance i mean what's he referring to i think he's going all the way back and he's saying you saw me right there in the beginning of it all and it was me that you saw It wasn't an embryo. It wasn't just a fertilized egg. That fertilized egg was me that you saw. You saw me in my unformed substance. And in your book, they were all written. The days that were ordained for me when, as yet, there was not even one of them. He's pointing back to it. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's confession, his asking of forgiveness to God for his sin with Bathsheba. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. And so he's crying out to God and saying, God, I forgive me. Be gracious, O God. Verse one, be gracious, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Well, skip down to verse five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. In fact, when he was in that, that, that unformed substance that he uses there in Psalm 139 he is saying when I was in that unformed substance I was a sinner I I was conceived in sin it wasn't because I was the product of adultery for to say he this is more speaking not to his mother's actions this is speaking to his state he was born a sinner you know, which is a whole nother argument or a whole nother discussion that Paul brings out in Romans 5, but but he not only was a person, he not only was a human being, he not only was life, he had a moral disposition before God. He had inherited the sin of our father Adam and therefore was in need of a savior, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. He was was a sinner even when he was conceived. I mean, that's how much of a human being he was. One last passage. Look over in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. What's interesting here is is in Luke 1 and in Luke 2, we have the story of, of Jesus being in Mary's womb, and John the Baptist being in his mother's womb, Elizabeth, and in verse 41, it refers to them as a baby. The Greek word is uh, brophios. See verse 40 and 41? Mary entered into the house of, Elizabeth, of Zacharias, and she greeted Elizabeth, verse 41. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, the brofias, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. That Propheus, verse 41. Look over at chapter 2. Chapter 2, let me see if I can find my notes to get the right verse here. Chapter 2, verse 12. The baby's been born. Jesus has been born. The shepherd's been notified. Verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. And this will be a sign to you, you shepherds. You're going to find the brofias wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I mean, same word used for the baby that had been born and is outside the womb and the baby that is still inside the womb. Now, we could go on and on and on, but this, I just kind of gave you a sampling there that Scripture is clearly teaching us that that, that baby that is inside the womb as a human being, as a person, as a person that is morally accountable to God for even their inherited sin of Adam. No difference. And in those passages in Psalms in particular, David goes all the way back and says, that's how it was since I was an unformed substance. All of that to say the clear testimony of Scripture is that that, that life, Personhood, humanity, even moral disposition before God begins at conception, at fertilization, not even at implantation, but even at conception, fertilization. You know, by the way, you know, I knew someone that wrote his whole doctoral dissertation on birth control and how to use it, and when to use it, and whether it's even right to use it. And All of of this points out something that is very important for those of you that are still in the birth control business. You want to make sure you use a birth control method that prevents or blocks conception, not implantation. Because if we're going to be truly biblical or true to the teaching of Scripture... It's not implantation that we're trying to stop. It's conception or fertilization that we're trying to stop. And so you need to be very, very careful to make sure that whatever uh, contraceptive you use isn't inadvertently an abortifacia. Now, I had a slide up there a little while ago that asked the question, okay, well, how have things changed in this war that we're talking about? I mean, because, my goodness, the Dobbs case did come down seven, eight months ago. How have things changed? Well, as I said, basically, abortion is now legal in about half of the states, and it's illegal in the other half of the state. So, okay, you can't get an abortion in Texas, you know, even in Austin or some other, you know, city that, that uh, tends to be on the more liberal side of things. You can't get one in Arkansas. You can't get at least, at least a legal one in, in, in Oklahoma or Louisiana. But you can in Missouri or Colorado or California or one of the states in the Northeast. I mean, you can go there and you can get it. So, so how has that changed things? Well, let me tell you one of the things that has really changed and it has really escalated. You know, actually, you know, I, I, at the beginning of it, I talked about various ways that abortion is achieved. You know, but as technology has achieved, actually most abortions now are what they call chemical abortions or maybe it's the abortion pill as it's commonly known. And it's actually not one pill, it's two pills. You can, a woman can, can take that pill, and that pill, within hours, will cause the inborn baby, the, the, the baby, to die. And then a few hours later, they take a, another pill that then caused them to Deliver that unborn, and it supposedly is, according to FDA, is safe up to 10 weeks. I mean, 10 weeks, 25% of the pregnancy, and the thing that is really dangerous about it now is that is kind of the common way that all early abortions are achieved, and you can even, with the online pharmacy, the internet, the wonders of the internet, you can find an online pharmacy that would prescribe that. So there, in the quietness of someone's home, they call them home abortions, a person can have an abortion and get the drugs delivered safely to their house. You say, well, can they deliver them straight to Texas or Arkansas or one of these states where it's illegal? Well, interestingly, because of the way things are these days, the Postmaster General came out and said, we're going to deliver the mail. We're going to deliver the mail. So, yes, you here could get a pharmacy, say, from California, get the Walgreens in California, the CVS in California, you know, a doctor to prescribe it for you, have it delivered here, and it's there. That's actually the way most abortions are being achieved these days. And that has just really skyrocketed just in the last seven, eight months. So, uh, I mean, this this is a huge war that we need to be aware of. I'm running out of time, but you know, I don't want to take the time too much to to go through them. But you know, you'll hear as you talk about all these things, people have all kinds of objections to abortion. You know, what about this and what about that? You know, this whole thing that now you know only rich women are going to be able to fly to Colorado or. California or Missouri or one of the other states to do it I mean but think about the logic of that I mean okay now we're, we're just saying you know we've got to equally provide access for everyone to terminate their pregnancy or to end the life of that unborn that preborn baby it doesn't really make sense or or we've got to make it safe for everyone to do the wrong thing we never do that, or, boy, this is just rising straight out of your religion. Well, you know what? Laws like "do not murder," "do not steal," those all come out of religion as well. "Do not rape." Those come out of it. That's not. Those are not laws that came out of civil society. Those are laws that came out of religious society. And so, if we're gonna say if it, if it was rooted in Religion, well, then we couldn't have any kind of laws. Almost every law you can think of is somehow really related to some rooted uh, religion that lies underneath it. You know, we could go on and on, and I'm just summarizing here, but I think you get the point. So here, here's the here's the question that we always should ask, and that is: So what? What do we do with this? Well, obviously, we pray, obviously we we recognize that this is a spiritual war, and as believers in Jesus Christ, who are supposed to seek to be good citizens within the nations that we live in, one of the things we're supposed to do is to pray for our leaders and to to to, to seek god's benefit God's will. And God's truth in the enacting of, law, of of laws and stuff, and so so prayer is huge. Prayer is huge. I think another thing we got to do is be informed. You know, too many times I think that we uh, we just stay out of it. And uh, you know, I know that watching the news and reading all that stuff sometimes that just gets obnoxious, and you get you know, sick of listening to it. But the truth of the matter is that that's where our society is. And and in a way, we don't really have the luxury to stay naive or ignorant. We do need to be informed about certain things. And I think as parents and as grandparents, we really need to be informed because although we might be choosing to stay oblivious for uh, uh, regarding things like this, the younger folks are not. They're trying to figure out. I mean, this is just so terrible that there are people that are going to be in this situation and they can't get a ticket to California or Colorado or whatever. And they don't understand. And, and, and the, the, you know, it's hard enough to get them to talk to an adult. But once they do talk to an adult, I mean, the thing is, is it'd be nice if that adult had some uh, common sense biblical truth to convey. And so we all need to, 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 to keep our heads in this game, to be informed. We need to support that whole, uh, those involved, uh, where's, that, where's that thing go? Oh, yeah, here, let me have this. Hey, out in the, uh, out in the lobby, there are these things. Uh, our local pregnancy center. First choice, one of the things they do, a little fundraiser they do, is what they call baby bottles, and, you know, believe it or not, this thing will hold about 50 bucks if you put quarters in it, and, uh, you know, you probably got loose change, and I know most of us, we would hardly even have cash or uh, coins anymore, but to the extent that you do, I would encourage you to fill this up just over the next couple months. I'd encourage you to set it out on a desk at, at, at where you work or maybe on a bookshelf or something, as as really just a testimony, and someone says, what's the baby bottle? I mean, you're a grandpa. Why do you have a baby bottle sitting there? And maybe you get an opportunity to share about it. But this is just a way to to financially support First Choice, but it might also be a way to to just generate conversation about it. I mean, First Choice is an incredible ministry. I got the opportunity. I've known about it for 30 years, and as a church, I think we've supported it for, you know, 25 or 30 years ourselves. But about a year and a half ago, I got, able to, I was, got invited to be on the board. And, uh, you know, the things I have learned, my, my respect for the place was very, very high before, and now it's through the roof. The work that Christy Wright and the, the staff, I mean, uh, I don't think she's here today, but Linda Richardson, our own Linda Richardson, actually works there. I mean, what they do is incredible. And the situations they see, are heartbreaking and difficult young girls really coming in with a in a crisis situation not knowing what to do and uh that the ministry of first choice is something worth supporting so i i would encourage you pick up one of these in the lobby and just just put it there and when it gets full you can bring it back here we'll get it to first choice or even better take it to first choice and actually spend five minutes and walk around and see a little bit about their ministry that's a way to support it and then here's the last one and i haven't even mentioned this up till now and i kind of wondered where do i slip this in but i wanted to slip it in actually here at the end and it's the whole idea of compassion you know i i recognize that even though This isn't a huge group. It's a big enough group. There's probably several here that have been on the other side of the whole abortion thing. Uh, The statistics can be believed. I mean, there's a very good chance that several of us here have aborted a child, maybe in ignorance, maybe in desperation, or whatever. And for those of us that, that, you know, we're an arm's length away from it, God calls us to incredible compassion. Uh, You know, if if you're not seeing life with forgiveness and grace, then you're not seeing life with Jesus' eyes. Because what did Jesus do as he walked around that broken society called Israel 2,000 years ago? He saw a whole bunch of people in desperate need of forgiveness, and he came to extend grace. And, you know, if you're here today and, and you know, that, that has been your experience, I want you to know there is incredible forgiveness in Jesus Christ And the grace of God is yours. I mean, the reason we love Jesus Christ so much is because he came to die for our sins. He came to die for every one of our shortcomings. All of them. And there isn't any sin that I've committed or that you've committed that is too big or too heavy that Jesus didn't bear it on the cross, and even though we've talked, and I've talked bluntly because I wanted to make sure we understood this is serious business, there is forgiveness, and there is incredible grace, and Jesus Christ is is the author of forgiveness, the author of grace, and for those of us who who, who might be looking in on it and saying, Whoa, we gotta fix those people. Let me tell you what the way you can minister and show compassion is by preaching forgiveness and grace and extending forgiveness and grace. If there is anything that we as a church should be known for, if we really and truly want to be known for something, It is that we are Jesus-centered people who are all about extending the forgiveness and grace that Jesus Christ manifested and purchased and then imparted through the cross of Calvary. I mean, this, this is a horrible subject we've talked about. But the truth of the matter is, even in this area, Jesus Christ came to bring forgiveness and he came to bring grace. And, and no matter where we stand in relation to this, that needs to be the way we function. We are a compassionate people who by the grace of God have found the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and we get to have a relationship with God because of what he's done. So let me pray, and uh, I would encourage you to, uh, to learn more, to be more informed. I'd encourage you to support, but most of all, I would encourage you to leave zealously committed to being compassionate in relation to this whole thing. Father, I thank you for the privilege that it's been today to uh, just talk about something that really is so relevant. And, Father, our nation is being uh, torn apart by this. And uh, Satan is really alive and well and active. And uh, he's playing dirty. Father, I pray that you would help us to be wise as serpents and uh, gentle as doves. I pray, Father, most of all, I pray we would be a compassionate people. And, Father, if there's someone here that, that does struggle with that forgiveness and grace, I pray that today they would hear that loud and clear. Uh, Father, all of us have sinned and fallen so far short of your glory. And I pray, Father, that today each and every one of us would know and embrace that forgiveness and grace that is ours because we had a Savior who died in our place.